Welcome to the PCS to Corporate America podcast from Cameron Brooks. Our mission here at Cameron Brooks is to help educate junior military officers about their transition options and to inspire veterans to transform their lives and their careers. Hello, everybody. Joel Junker here. I just wanted to take a moment to introduce the first podcast of 2023. In this uh, podcast, I'm going to be interviewing Chuck Alvarez, our CEO, and we recorded this on December 15th, 2022. Uh, we call it our year-end webcast. So this is the audio uh, from that webcast. And we divided it into two podcasts. So this is part one um, of the webcast. And here we cover what happened in 2022, lessons learned, types of companies and positions that we're hiring, the value of the Karen Brooks career search, how we utilize SkillBridge, and why that is different than doing an internship. And at least from our perspective, the value of doing a career search versus doing an internship. And then in the second web uh, podcast that we're going to do, that will be published on January 31st, so two weeks, roughly two weeks from now, we're going to talk more about what the expectations are in 2023, answering questions about do we expect a recession? What if we have a recession? And then the blueprint for success in making a transition in 2023 or beyond if we have a recession. And actually, it's the blueprint of making the transition regardless of what economic market you get out in. So hello, everybody. Once again, welcome to our year-end uh, webcast and looking forward to the, to the next year. We started the, doing this year-end webcast uh, during the pandemic. Because uh, we had so many questions about the market, lessons learned, things moving forward. And we just had such fabulous feedback from the people that saw it live as watch and watch the recording. This will also be on a podcast in January that we've now made this an annual event. And predominantly, Chuck is our CEO. I'll let him introduce himself in just a minute. Uh, will uh, be the primary speaker. I'll be more of a moderator. And so, you know, our goal is to to give you an insight, what did we experience in 2022? And what were some of the lessons learned or reinforced lessons that we had in 2022? And what's our outlook we're getting for 2023? But lots of questions. Maybe even after today, we might even get more questions about what our outlook is in 2023. Is, uh, I think the stock market was down 750 points. The, the uh, R word, the recession word was thrown out there a, a little bit. The Fed raised interest rates yesterday, another half point. So there's a lot of noise. What does that mean? And I, Chuck has a, a very unique perspective to share with us what he's hearing um, as he speaks to hundreds of hiring managers from just about every industry with the except of the, de of the defense industry uh, out there. You know, we have just, uh, just to give you a little background, things you probably already know about what's happening, I'll turn it over to Chuck uh, to introduce himself. But it was a unique market in 2022. And I keep said that every year that we've had, uh, just, uh, we, since we've been doing this, we know inflation was persistently high. And the Fed started to raise interest rates. Typically, that is to get unemployment to actually go up to cool off the market. It didn't do right. that. And uh, so we have this kind of maybe inflation is finally coming down, but the market still remains pretty, pretty warm. To call, I would say, and I would check color, and we're pretty close to hot. We have 3.7% unemployment rate for overall. Now, the demographic, if anybody really listening to this, in our demographic, 
or watching this, 2% unemployment if you're a college to, uh, graduate in your 25 years of age or older. Um, in, in a recent job creation was up over 260,000 jobs created. I think it was during most of the Obama years, which was still a very good hiring market. It was like 160,000 on like 150,000. That was a good year uh, during those years. So we have a lot of challenges that we may face in 2023. It's just unique. Um, with all of this, I wanted to bring Chuck in, have him share a story. So I'll turn it over to Chuck, give a little background of himself. Most of you already know me. Um, and then I have a bunch of questions for Chuck. Thanks, Joel. Thanks for letting me do this with you again uh, this year. And yes, I'm Chuck Alvarez, and I joined Cameron Brooks after uh, three years in the Army. So I joined here in 1994, and actually I came through Cameron Brooks as a candidate and went to work for a, a Fortune 500 medical device uh, manufacturer and sales for a couple of years, and then uh, joined the company. And in the early part of my career, I spent a lot of time recruiting. Um, so I was doing work uh, similar, not at the level that Joel is because he runs all of recruiting, but I was a, uh, a recruiter on a recruiting team here. And so I traveled around the military bases and I always loved working with military officers kind of upstream in the process. But for some reason, I gravitated or I was gravitated towards uh, working with our client companies and uh, probably about three years into my uh, 28 years now with Cameron Brooks, I started working with uh, client companies and I've spent uh, all my time, you know, all day, every day, really advocating for junior officer recruiting and working with corporations to help them understand how to do this because it's, it, um, you know, they want to get you, they, they, you know, all, all uh, America is so patriotic and corporations are so uh, patriotic and want to, want to be able to hire um, out of the military, but it's, um, it's uh, to hire military into leadership positions directly into those um, is more complicated. And I and Joel knows this, but I've never been a gigantic fan of all of these uh, internship or rotational programs because I really think it's just companies in some ways copping out on working, doing the work to figure out how to put you directly into a leadership role, which I think if there's any human being on the planet here that deserves the right to go directly into a leadership job. It's a, it's a uh, U.S. military trained junior leader. And so, but be able to do that, to be able to do those direct placements, you know, somebody's got to go in before you and work with the company to be able to understand backgrounds and understand the right type of roles um, uh, that are going to be, uh, that are going to be fits for junior officers. And that's why we focus only on junior officers because it actually is very, very complex to be able to do that and to be able to do it with multiple companies across multiple industries. But that's basically what I've got a great team around me here too. So I'm not the, the Lone Ranger doing this, but, but that's basically what I spend all day, um, every day doing. Excellent. So the topics that we're going to get into with Chuck, he introduced some of these already is, you know, we experienced some high demand for hiring junior officers in, in corporate America last year. Um, and then, uh, you know, if, yeah, I think it's an if, right? If we have a recession, how do you execute like a really recession-proof transition strategy? And how do you start preparing today if you want to get out, whether it be in three months, a year, or two years from now? And what are the big missteps uh, that you want to avoid? We're gonna get, we're gonna cover all of that ground, and maybe we'll even get back into um, a little bit of the topic of 
uh, the difference in Cameron Brooks and his transition uh, search and power of comparison versus the internship opportunities that Chuck just spoke about. Well, in you know, first question here, in my opinion, we had another unique year. Um, I think maybe every year is unique. It'd be nice to have maybe a normal year here at some point in time uh, because of the inflation, the talk of the downturn, um, yet the unemployment numbers still look very strong. Chuck, how would you describe from your perspective of what we experienced here at Cameron Brooks, what you've talked to the companies, saw GMOs make the transition, how would you uh, describe this last year? Yeah. Well, it was it was a great year. It was it was the best year we've ever had in 50 years of of doing this by just about every metric. Um, and and I think what's so incredible about that is where we were just 24 months ago. And and we did a we did a webcast like this at the end of 2020, and we did it at the end of 2021. And um and 2021, you know, was a the first half of 2021 was a lot like 2020. And, you know, but there's just an amazing amount of uncertainty with the pandemic. And it's incredible to me how quickly uh, things came back. I think we're very, very fortunate um, to have uh, leaders in, um, in our government that made some very good decisions, uh, that continue to make uh, good decisions on how to, um, how to, to structure uh, this economy to come back from one of the darkest years, I mean, GDP shrunk by 15% quarterly in the second quarter of 2020. The last time it shrank by 15% was the Great Depression. And I certainly never thought we would be making comparisons in my lifetime to things that happened in the Great Depression, but we literally were there in 2020. And then in 2022, it, it, completely, it completely snapped back. It's also just interesting this whole idea of recessions, you know, there were quarters in 2022 where we had negative GDP growth. And, and, you know, and this is the hard thing about the word recession, because you can line up a thousand economists and they're not going to necessarily agree on when you're in a recession. And so, but there were, there were, if you say it's two quarters of negative GDP in the second and third quarter, um, our first and second quarter, you know, technically speaking, we, you know, there were, there were some reports of, of, a, of, of very difficult uh, economic situations, but candidates, the job market remained, like Joel said, incredibly tight. Uh, the unemployment rate hit a 50 year low at 3.4%. Now it's up to 3.7%. And the reason we have all this inflation is that the, the economy just came raging back and, and uh, companies just weren't in a position to meet the demand in the supply chain. And whenever you have higher demand than you have supply, you know, prices are going to go up and you're going to end up with, uh, with inflationary pressure. But anyway, I think just a, a wild ride um, during the year. Uh, but in the end, the fundamentals of companies hiring was as strong as I've seen it in 28 years um, and across, across, again, every type of metric that is the average number of interviews, average number of companies at a conference, average number of offers, every one of those metrics, you know, up setting record compared to every single year in the 50 years that we've been doing this. So I think that's just, you know, it's unbelievable um, what happened, especially when you put it in context of where we were in, um, in 2020. I also think that it's, 
you know, there's a lot of new ground in 2022. I think that's really the answer here that a lot of us don't really know what's happening in this economy because we never did what we did to the economy in 2020 with basically shutting down the economy here in the United States for precautions on the pandemic. We never did that before. We never did this experience on this on the, uh, or did this experiment on this $25 trillion economy. And so, you know, there's just a lot of things that are happening out there that we haven't seen before. But in the end, there's growth. And in the third quarter, in the fourth quarter here, we're headed into, and basically for 2022 in a year, I mean, we're headed towards GDP growth of probably 1.9, you know, 2%. Um, it grew higher than that in the third quarter and fourth quarter. But when I think you average out Q3 and Q4 with Q1 and Q2, which were, which were more negative growth, we're going to end up with just another, uh, another very strong GDP year. But there's just a lot of rubber banding going on. You know, even, even China now, which locked down in, in Q1 and Q2 and Q3, now is coming out with the same pent-up demand that we created in 2020. And, you know, their, their economy is about half as large as ours, but it's the second largest economy in the world. And so, you know, now they're coming out of, of some of their COVID lockdowns and you're going to see growth there. And so I think the thing to remember is that you got a hundred trillion dollar global economy. You know, we're 25, we're a quarter of it here in the United States, but there's just, you know, in the end, the trajectory that we're on, regardless of whether you hear people talk about recessions, the fundamentals are very, very strong. Companies are investing money and they're doing it wisely, of course, but it, you know, I, I just never thought we would get back to where we are. That I thought it would probably take five years for us to sort of claw our way back there, but we just snapped back in a way like I've never seen before. And kudos to the junior officers who kind of endured some of that complexity because I think it's been incredibly rewarding to watch people make transitions. And I think the happiness factor, they're busy, they're busy, but they're, they're employed and they're working hard and they're in jobs that they're using their, their skills that they learn in the military, which is what we all want, right? We want to be able to get out and be utilized for what we know how to do, leadership, problem solving, drive for results, creativity, agility, flexibility, to be able to use the traits that we learned when we were in uniform. We want to be able to get out and put those to work. And I think from that perspective, it's been unbelievably rewarding to watch uh, transitions here really in 2022 and in 2022. 21 and even 2020. And those, those um, young officers, now young business leaders, are going are gonna to get a crack course. They're going to get incredible upside that they're riding with what's happening out there right now in the world. And I think careers are going to be made out of this time, but you've got to just be willing to weather some of the, some of the confusion that's, uh, that's out there that I think is more a result of what happened in 2020 than it is uh, problem uh, problems with uh, with the U.S. economy and the global economy. That's my take. In Chuck, so if we, if we drill down on the micro, I think you touched on it a little bit with the, the characteristics that the companies like in the junior officer. With the market did cool, and it wasn't as strong as 2021. I mean, it was still very good. I mean, 2021 was a little bit nuts. Yeah, how good it yeah. was. Um, what are why what are the reasons and this might dovetail into the recession piece in the, in the second half of the webcast here what are the reasons that companies really didn't cool off much 
Yeah. We saw the average salary go up. The average mm-hmm. number of interviews really stayed the same. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the number of days from the conference to ultimately accepting a position still was pretty short. Um, how come companies still demanded the junior officer? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that the, the thing, the, the number one reason, and again, this is some, somewhat of a boomerang or somewhat of a reaction to what happened during COVID, is growth is growth. I mean, there's so many new business models that came out of this. And uh, just across the board, like you even think about something simple, like how often young people now like to do DoorDash and Uber Eats because, you know, none of us could go out to restaurants. So we started doing a lot of takeout. Well, that completely revolutionized the packaging industry. And so there's just a whole bunch of packaging challenges when everybody starts carrying food out of a restaurant instead of actually eating it on ceramic plates in a restaurant. And, you know, you multiply that across every socioeconomic subset here in the United States and even globally. And, you know, you get a, you get just this unbelievable windfall in, in a packaging industry and entire new packaging models that come out. But then of course that touches on sustainability because now, you know, you can't just go cut down a whole bunch of trees and uh, to make those. So you have all kinds of new sustainability models that come out and environmental, you know, sustainability packaging that comes out and recycling that comes, you know, out of that. And then, you know, companies really like all of a sudden, all these restaurant companies really like this, you know, meeting this extra demand for, for takeout. And so there's entire corporations, food companies that, you know, you might be going to your favorite restaurant and think that it's being delivered by Uber Eats from that restaurant, but there are entire corporations that have been built that are staffing leaders and business analysts and general managers that didn't exist three or four years ago to be able to, you know, you're actually not ordering from that restaurant anymore. That's being made by a food company that is, uh, that's, you know, in Cincinnati and is, has a contract with all the restaurants and they're making the food in their own like industrial size kitchens. And so anyway, the point is, I'm, I am amazed here with the number of companies that call in that I've never heard of their businesses before. And that's probably the first time in my career that there's just so many business models that are out there. Now, of course, our alumni, we've got thousands and thousands of alumni that are out in the business world. A lot of them are getting tapped as you know, directors and vice presidents and presidents to run these companies. And so what do they do? They come back to the military to, uh, to recruit again. And so anyway, I just think there's a lot of growth out there, a lot of new business models, a lot of pivots that have happened. And I think you just, the second thing you just, why companies keep, why the labor markets are so tight in a topsy-turvy uh, GDP or economic growth is that one thing that's changed forever is that COVID caused people to retire early. And the labor participation rate, especially in that, you know, 60 to 70 year old category, which are a lot of leadership jobs in in corporate America, right? Corporate America has about 100 million employees. And, you know, a lot of times people, they don't realize this, but the S&P 500 is only 19%. So the top 500 companies in the United States are only 19% of the of the people in the United States that work in corporate America. And if you, you know, if you take their, their 18,000 companies out there. So the top 18,000 companies have 500 or more employees. And so you take a bunch of 60 to 70 year olds during COVID that decide, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to retire and I'm going to go, you know, hang out with my grandkids 
um, or maybe, you know, manage their wealth or do whatever they want themselves or get a boat and sail or what have you, because they just didn't want to, you know, the pandemic was just too much for them. And even, even the scare of getting sick when you're that old, because you're out working, you know, they, they were in the high risk category. Anyway, the point is you, you had a whole bunch of people retire early. And I think therefore corporations pulled a lot of their, you know, 40 year olds up into leadership jobs. And it's just created this leadership gap you know, down at the junior leadership level, which is where we function. And if you get out of the military, it's the exact jobs that you're going to, you know, try to interview for junior leadership uh, positions, junior management positions. And there's just a lot of openings uh, out there, you know, right now. And, and those jobs have become more complex, which is why I don't think you ever should take an internship job. I think you should have interns working for you in corporate America, but I don't think a leader should ever be an intern. Because, you know, they're the, the jobs, the leadership jobs that are out there are getting more complex. And, and I, I say Cameron Brooks is very good at high complexity recruiting, which means a position that requires somebody who can lead, who can problem solve, who has strong learning agility, who is, uh, you know, a good, has strong analytical skills, is technical, can learn really fast. And sometimes I talk to hiring teams or hiring managers on what they need in these junior leadership jobs. And it's like a run on sentence of behavior. And what they're looking for are best athlete leaders here, right? They're looking for people that have broad leadership experiences at the junior leadership level. And I just think it's a great time to be a highly trained junior leader coming out of the military that, you know, has got some drive and some grit and, uh, you know, wants to get out there and transition into a junior leadership position. So there you go there. Why are our average number of interviews high? Why haven't we been affected by any of this topsy-turviness? You know, why are you not seeing corporations stopping their hiring, even though they're, they're getting ripples in GDP reports? Because I think they're looking out five or 10 years and they know their junior leadership bench is really light right now. And I think you're going to see 10 years of, of, uh, of uh, investment in junior leadership bench for high complexity recruiting, which is right in the space that we play. Chuck, to find a little bit more of the high complexity recruiting, maybe explain that since we throw that around a lot here, it might be easier for us to completely understand that. What does that mean to yeah. junior yeah. officers really just thinking about transitioning? Yeah. I mean, I, I'll take like something like an engineering job. And, and there are a lot of engineering jobs out there that I would call medium complexity positions, or maybe even in some cases, low complexity. So when you ask a hiring team, you know, what they want, they usually want one thing. Like maybe they want somebody that really understands the engineering of programmable logic controllers. So it's very, very specific. They're going to do design work on programmable logic controllers. And that is the main thing that is going to drive the hiring of that person, the experience of, um, of, uh, of programming PLCs, or, or maybe it's a defense contractor, which is the reason why I don't particularly find it super interesting to recruit for DOD contractors is because when you ask them what it is that they want, it really is pretty simple. They have the JSTAR program and they want somebody that has maintenance experience on the JSTAR program. So that's really it. Or they need a security clearance and experience on JSTAR. And, and they can almost hire you off your resume. It's so, the interview process is so simple in, in medium and low complexity because they're just going to look to see, do you have this experience? And if you do, you have a very good chance of getting an offer. And if you don't, you don't. Where you take a leadership position, 
it, it, they become much more like an engineering job that requires leadership, like a project engineer or an application engineer. And they're going to say, well, not only do we need a really strong engineering you know, degree, but we, we also want the person to be very, very good at collaborating with broad teams of people. They have to have a boundaryless leadership ability to include customers. And so all of a sudden, you add a level of complexity on top of engineering that, that means the interview process is going to be much, much harder. You know, you're not only going to get asked questions about one part, one skill that they need, like technical, but you're also going to get a lot of questions about your ability to work with people and problem solve with people. You know, in addition to that, they want somebody that's really good at not only solving known problems, but digging into problems that haven't been solved before and can deal with that you know, level of problem solving. So now you add a third layer on top of it. And it's not uncommon, you all, for us to have four or five layers of behaviors and skills that the company is looking for in that position. And you'll find these jobs, they stay open a lot longer because the company is much more discerning when they're looking at these high complexity positions. But the fun thing about it is if you look at it, the impact that a person, that an A player can have in a high complexity job, an A player can be 800 times, this is documented, it can be 800 times more productive than a B or C player in a high complexity role, where in a medium complexity or a low complexity role, somebody that's really, really good at that, you know, maybe they're only one or two times more productive than, than you know, a B or C player in that. And I think you're just going to see companies are looking a lot harder at filling these high complexity roles with the right talent. Therefore, in corporate America, traditional recruiting is hiring somebody from industry. Non-traditional recruiting is when you're looking at people from outside the industry. We are non-traditional recruiting source for high potential junior leadership talent. That's what Cameron Brooks, that's what I really talk about every day, you all. Now, you may not know that until you get to a conference and they talk to you about that and these behaviors, but the, but the point is, that I think it's, uh, you know, I, it's, it's so difficult to find really good people in this that companies are interested in casting a wider net and looking at non-traditional sources. And, and we are a very proven source of that here, which is, which is why they come to our conference, to be able to look for people like you. So I'm glad you colored that in. I think that's going to be really good for everybody that's listening to this about the value that they bring business and I think really also how Cameron Brooks helps capture that full value, not just the one dimension or two dimensions. I heard multiple times today when talking to officers thinking about getting out, I want to go to work for a company who values me and that I can bring value to the company. And, and I think when they say values me, I think sometimes they mean just like value as a human being, but what you're talking about is they value all the ands that they are able to bring and the whole toolkit with the whole toolkit and the whole toolkit. And again, it's why I think just an internship is just a crying shame to me because they're, they really not valuing any of your toolkit. They're saying, we really don't know what to do with you. And so we're going to, you know, we're going to, which by the way, an internship program was designed for juniors in college, which don't have any skills yet. So they really can't do anything other than an internship. But I think, you know, in the world of non-traditional recruiting, I've just never been a gigantic fan of those things or rotational programs. Because I think those are just also internship programs where we're going to bounce you around to a bunch of different, you know, business functions and, you know, let you shadow people, 
And you can imagine just how boring that would be in the, in the military instead of going into a leadership role as a second lieutenant to get bounced around for two years and, uh, you know, and not actually being able to lead, but just shadowing other leaders. You know, it's a little, it's a little tedious. So, um, but the point, you're right, Joel, is to value the entire toolkit, not just one aspect of it, but you've got to find a company that knows how to do high complexity recruiting. And, you know, and candidly, you're not going to find these types of opportunities on the internet. You know, they're not going to try to, most internet recruiting is going to be medium or low complexity recruiting. It's, you're going to, you're either going to need to know somebody that's working in the company that, that knows your skill set, or you're going to need a source like, you know, like a Cameron Brooks that specializes in this type of, uh, of recruiting. We get a lot of comments from candidates. You know, I work with them a lot in the follow-up process and at the conference, and I think it always blows them away on the, on, they always say the quality of the opportunities, it's all over the videos. You know, I just I never knew these types of jobs were out there. And I think it's because, you know, we spend a lot of time on the client side of Cameron Brooks working with these companies. But, it, you know, you almost have to experience it at a hiring conference to really understand exactly what your toolkit is and just how broad it is and appealing it is for these for these high complexity openings. So let's use this one last question to, to, to help us pivot into the next half of the webcast and then. What are the lessons that you, and you've talked a little bit about this with um, the internships, but what are the lessons do you personally take away from 2022? And tre- maybe it's the trend. What do you, what have you seen on transition lessons? They may be reinforced. I mean, yeah. based the fundamentals really remain the same, yeah. but what would you say are the lessons from 2022 in making a successful transition? Yeah. Well, I think, I think that the, my biggest takeaways from 2022 is just is really the pace of change in companies and, and that, you know, a pace of change, you know, cause you kind of think 2020 is going to be one thing and 2020, you know, you're in a, you're in an organization and, and you think it's going to be one thing and then it ends up being something else. And, you know, you're really having to mobilize people and lead people and overcome adversity in that change. And I, I think, I just think it's a very gritty year. I think like grit wanted would be the big bumper sticker or the big sign that I would, that I would put up there. And I think that, you know, military officers have been tried and tested with grit, unlike in my opinion, any other endeavor in society from 22 to 28 years old. I think the military is very, very rigorous. I think the jobs are challenging. The work assignments are challenging. Um, and so I think, you know, you're bringing a lot of this grit out that is just really needed at a time like this. Um, I think, uh, I think a second that surprised me, it surprises me, the level, you know, you think it's going to be one thing and it's higher than that. And, and I think even if you talk to alumni that are out there and you say to them, you know, what are you doing? They'll say it's, it's challenging. You know, it's, uh, the, the skills that I'm using, the leadership skills, that I'm using, they're, they're real. These organizations need people that can problem solve and collaborate and deliver on results in, in the face of a time of great change. And uh, anyway, I think it's fun because you, you get tried and tested that way in business and you build a, some street cred really fast in business. But that, that to me is one of the big uh, takeaways. The other one is technology. I think that the pace on technology surprises me the, the, how quickly concepts like big data, um, is just, and data analytics is just taking over in corporate America today in every type of job and every facet. 
Um, I told my kids this. I said, you're, you know, you're young. Uh, two of them have, have just graduated from college, uh, one's in college. But the, the ones that are out, I just say, you know, you just have got to, to start, um, start learning and start studying um, to be able to learn technology and learn, especially in the area of data analytics, because I think that's going to be your generation. The next, Joel's in my generation was the internet. I left the service in 1992. The internet was really created in 1994, 1995. I can still remember at work when the World Wide Web hit and all of a sudden we all had cell phones and then the cell phones really became more like little computers. And I remember when all that happened and I just thought, I got to learn everything there is to learn about this. Well, that was, that was kind of PC technology for us in the 90s and the internet and connectivity. For you all, it's going to be big data. It's going to be cloud computing. It's going to be the internet of things. It's going to be edge computing. And, and I would just... I, I my, if my kids were on the phone, they would tell you their their father is just terrible about this. I don't let any computer games in the house. I've never let them have computer games. I think that you know you don't need to be playing computer games. You need to be learning technology because the CEO of the future is is going to be somebody that understands how to how to. Um, it doesn't matter whether you're a history major or whether you're an engineer, right, or a business major. I think it's going to be a person who is very very good at understanding technology and understanding the application of technology as a combat multiplier in business. And I would even venture to say that if you stay in the military for 20 years, you're going to say the same thing about the warfighter in the future. It is going to largely be about technology, regardless of where you go in your generation. But I, it surprised me how quickly artificial intelligence, uh, machine learning, uh, big data, cloud migrations, how quickly Maybe the pandemic added fuel to that because we all just knew we have to reach our customers in a different way than we reached them pre-pandemic. So that's a second big trend. And the last one is, you know, and I think this is dangerous for your generation, is that, you know, transitions are investments. And, and you're going to hear us talk a lot about that word. You know, if you're going to trend, if you're going to get out of the military and you're going to pivot on your industry that you're in, meaning you're going to leave the world of defense in the public sector, and you're going to go into the private sector, um, A, if you're going to do that. If not, what I'm saying is probably moot. But if you're going to make a, an industry transition, and you're going to make a skill set transition, and say you're in Fort Benning, Georgia, and you're not going to find work in Fort Benning, you're going to try to find work someplace else. Uh, so you're going, to tr you're going to transition industry, you're going to transition skill set, you're going to transition your location. That is like the trifecta of complexity. And it takes an investment mindset. I think, I think a lot of what happened during COVID is all of us started measuring life in like six-month segments. And I think what that does is it puts a lot of pressure on people making transitions to have a very short-term mentality. And I, I say this to all young people, you all. I'm 56 years old. I left the service 30 years ago. I, the, I'm no longer young. But the biggest thing that I envy in you is that you are young and talented. This is not a two-chapter book. Chapter one, I'm in the service. Chapter two, I'm out of the service. It is, it is a book that has many chapters to it. And what an investment means, just like if you're investing in stocks and bonds, when you're young, you have the ability to make a long-term investment. So I say the herd mentality that is out there. And the best thing to do is to not follow the herd, not follow what you know, 
to be the best investment that you're going to make in your career. You're going to see a lot of people follow the herd on this. And, you know, I, I really want to be able to get a job that I don't have to work all that hard and maybe I can work remote and I'm only going to have to work eight hours in a day. And there's a lot of that going on right now. And I think just like in the military, the more like everybody said they were going to do one thing, I wanted to do another thing because I just I just never believed in the herd. I never believed in the the noise of the mediocre. I wanted to be able to have something more. So I'm speaking for myself on that, but that's probably a conversation that I have more with alumni than any other, that they made a smart investment when they got out, and that investment yielded a jumpstart to a career in the private sector that, that produces results and upside for them, that they are growing in their careers, manager, senior manager, director, vice president. You know, I've had this conversation with CEOs of public companies that are Cameron Brooks alum, and get out when you're young and make a smart investment. I learned more I think maybe we all had more of that pre-pandemic, but I think post-pandemic, there's more of pressure towards thinking small. And I think when you're 56, I encourage you to think small. You don't have a lot of time to monetize an investment. But when you're 28, 29 years old, you know, you've got your 30s in front of you, you've got your 40s in front of you, you have your 50s in front of you. That's more than likely you will have career upside that is longer than the number of years that you've been alive to date. And I don't know if you remember being one or two years old, but you have that much life in front of you as a leader in whatever endeavor you pick. Look to the long term, or at least to the medium term. You know, maybe not the long term, because it's kind of hard to see that far out, but look out five or 10 years and get yourself into something that's going to lead to something really good at that point. So thank you for listening to this episode of the Cameron Brooks Podcast. The next podcast will publish, as I mentioned earlier in the introduction, on January 31st. It'll be the second half of the interview that I had with Chuck, totally focused on the expectations and the future for 2023 and the blueprint for transition success.